going to talk about that in this next sermon series that we're starting today, which I'm really excited about. And as I was thinking about this sermon series, I was thinking about Mexican food. Maybe not everyone makes that connection, but I like Mexican food. Anyone else like Mexican food here? Come on. Anyone been to El Ferrolito in downtown Placentia? It is good. They didn't pay me for that. I don't even know them, but it's just really good. Uh, so we were there the other day on a date, and, and as it is with uh, Mexican food so often, you're like, man, you find your spot, and you're like, man, the fajitas at this place are awesome. And so you like order the fajitas or whatever your deal is at your Mexican restaurant, and then the chips come out. And you're like, wait, you're starving, and the chips come out. And you're like, chips, you know, and it's like, you can see, if it's a good Mexican restaurant, you can see the grease, like, baked in, like, fried in to the chips, you know? So you're like, salt, fried, fried stuff, this fried. And you're like, oh, I'll have another basket, you know? And you're just, like, stuffing yourself on chips. You forgot you ordered fajitas, and you're just, like, stuffing yourself on chips. Like, these are so amazing. And then or whatever you were craving for that got you there comes out and you're like, I feel sick before I even ate a bite of my food. <laughs> I was thinking about that light of this sermon series because I think sometimes we do that with God, right? You're here, you would say, man, God is amazing. God is awesome. God is better than, than anything else. And so often uh, we take things that are good in life, we kind of about in this last margin series, hopefully anyone have more margin since our last series, making space for what matters. I didn't see as many hands as I thought, so we can work with you beyond that. But we talked about making margin for God, and, and you know, I think a lot of times we get bored with God because we're filling ourselves with things sometimes that are bad, but oftentimes that are good, but maybe not best. We fill and we, we quench our appetite with everything so often but God. And sometimes even doing the work of God or doing things for God or doing the community of God. And so often we fill ourselves with everything but the one we're made for. I believe we're made to long and desire to know God deeply and to hunger for more of God. And what I've seen, just as I've, got, as I've known God uh, over the last decade and a half, and what I've seen as I've led uh, just in different areas of churches for many years, I've seen that God fills the hunger of our hearts when we bring it to him. And so we're starting a sermon series we're simply calling More. We have with us, we have God will never leave or forsake us. Scripture says in the Great Commission, he's with us always, but I believe there's an invitation to more deeply. As I have referenced a few weeks ago, James 4, says this, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So often we are bored because we've arrived. We think, I know that scripture, I've heard a sermon on that before, and I know that thing, and I've had a great experience in a worship service before, I've, I've you know, had this experience with God, or I've gone on a mission trip, and we, we've, we've taken our list of accomplishments and kind of said, I, I know they're all there is to know, <laughs> and I want to say if that's true, that's really boring. I mean, I hope it was awesome, and scripture says, God wants to take us from glory to glory. Paul said, 
he went through these lists of accomplishments in his life, in his own life, and he said, one thing I do, I forget what, was, what lies behind, and I press onward for the heavenly call. He pressed into God. I believe God doesn't want us just to do things for him or be a God that's distant or what kind of I believe God is inviting all of us as Christians, and especially this season, God is more, more of him. And so I want to start this series by looking at one of my favorite scriptures um, in Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33. We're going to start. Here, but just kind of some, uh, just some context. So God has delivered, through the hand of Moses, the people of Israel. Leading up to this, he delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And so they, they, they supernaturally, God parts the Red Sea. They go through the Red Sea, incredible, right? And they get to the other side, and sure enough, it doesn't take a few chapters in chapter 20, the people of God are saying, hey, Moses, she don't want to draw near to God or talk to God. Moses, you talk to God, and then we'll talk to you. So we'll kind of have a relationship with God through you, Moses. And sure enough, so Moses goes, talks to God up. He gets the Ten Commandments. And during that time, while Moses is up in the mountain, people of God who were just delivered from, from Egypt, who just walked through the Red Sea, make a golden calf. And they worship this golden calf. Right, and um, and so you know Moses comes back down is not happy <laughs> at all, um, and God gives him this command at the beginning of chapter thirty three to leave Sinai and go to the place that God has called them to, and kind of pick it up here. Chapter verse seven says this: Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. So again, the, 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 the Israelites, the people of God, were going through the deserts. So that's what they're talking about, the camp. They were literally camping and moving along as God would lead them. It says, now, whenever Moses went out of the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door, watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud Standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, see, say to bring this people up. Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if Moses, uh, I'm sorry, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he, now Moses again, said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? 
Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Now God, and he prays, that God, and God says he'll do that, and he prays the glory of God, and God passes before him. Mic switch. God passes before him. Now you guys, it's... So often with scripture, we maybe heard these stories some on the way, and, and we're like, oh, this is cool. You know, like I know that verse. I've studied that verse before. This is amazing. This is amazing. Can you imagine being the people of God? Moses goes into the tent of meeting. There's, you know, a, a, a cloud. The, the, the people of God are being led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day, and God is speaking with Moses face to face, the living God is speaking to Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. God marked Moses. Mark, uh, Moses was marked with friendship with God. And I believe he wants the same for us. This is, a, this is amazing. Just one little note here. So a few chapters before, God told Moses up in the mountain to build the tabernacle. And he told them how to do that. But this isn't the tabernacle he's talking about because the tabernacle had not yet been built. So what is this tent? This is Moses' own personal tent. You see, Moses didn't have to do this. He didn't have to create a meeting place with God. He could have just waited until the tabernacle was built and kind of fulfilled his responsibilities there. But Moses wanted more of God. He took his personal tent, he took his home and made it, and he, I love it, he called it, he named it the tent of meeting. This wasn't obligatory worship. This wasn't obligatory relationship with God. This was spontaneous, passionate connection and fellowship with God. You see, because God was his friend, he wanted to be with him. Because God was his friend, he said, I will make my tent, I will make my home a place of meeting with God. Now, just on a side note, isn't that, I love he made his home a place where the glory of God dwelt. What if we made our homes a place where the glory of God dwelt? What if we made, even the chaos, some of us families, we have three kids running around, Oh man, we're trying to worship music. It might be some guests, but God is glorified. A place where the glory of God sits and dwells. A place where God's presence is welcome. Of course he's with us. We're saying, God, you are welcome to be Lord here. You are welcome. We want you in this place. What if we made our cubicles, our workplaces, our classrooms a place where the glory of God could dwell? What if we made our cars on the way to work at times when we want to cuss at someone a place where the glory of God could dwell? There's no place you can't pitch a tent of meeting with God. And so what was God doing in, in, in verse 9? It says, that the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And it goes on, like I said uh, earlier, like we referenced earlier, that Lord would speak with Moses face to face, verse 11 here, as a man speaks to his friend. I love just this, the power and awe of God, the cloud, you know, this is cloud of glory and friendship. 
I think we're used to having friends with normal people, you know. We're used to like, oh, like, this is cool. But he had friendship with the living God. He had friendship with the living God. I want to say this is the same God we worship. I think sometimes we get a little too used to God. This is the same God we worship. He had friendship with God. Did you, I want to say, did you guys know that the living God invites you into friendship with him? The living God invites you into friendship with him. Throughout scripture, God has led his people from relationship. From the beginning, the creator and the created. And he would fellowship. And when they fell into sin, he said, where did you go? God came after their hearts, after relationship. He said, where did you go? You left my presence. No, wasn't God always there? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But they left his intimate presence. God wanted a relationship as their creator. How about a father and his children? We see that relationship. God wants to be our father. I know when I see my kids and I come home from work, I'm not like, hey, guys, I'm going to go to my room. <laughs> when I come home, I drop what I'm doing. Hey, guys, how you doing? I tickle them. I get in their face. I love them. I ask them questions about their day. That is how God wants to relate to us. He also wants to be our friends. John 15, 15, Jesus said this to the disciples. He said, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. I have called you friends for all that I heard from the Father I have made known to you. You guys, God is looking for friends. It's not that he's lonely. God is sufficient in and of itself. We have the Trinity and God reflects perfect fellowship in the Trinity. In it. But, but I believe God created us that we could be deeply satisfied in friendship with him. God is looking for friends. You know what moves the heart of God? You know what I believe God is looking for? Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, another version is to and fro throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Can you picture God looking down from heaven, looking at the hearts of mankind, not just saying who's Christians, but saying who among them has their heart fully committed to me? Who in their own weakness even is saying, God, have my whole heart, God. I'm messed up, I'm not perfect, I struggle with sin, I forget to pray, I forget, but God, have my whole heart. God is looking for you. God is looking for you. God is looking. That, I believe, is what moves the heart of God. It's not the greatest sports play. It's not the greatest thing that happened in Hollywood. It's not the greatest. You know what? God gets his attention. You know what makes him rise up over the balcony? Is when you say, yes, Jesus, have my heart. I want more of you. I want to be a people like that. I want to invite us to be a church that moves the heart of God, that he can say, Antioch Community Church in Fullerton, California, these guys, I'm going to strengthen. Their hearts are fully committed to me. Lord, would you do it in us? What does he do? He strengthens them. I believe God marks us with his presence. You see this happening here. I love Moses' heart. 
In verse 14 to 16, he says, if my, my pre-, God says this, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with me, will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. How will it be knowing that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? I believe God wants to mark wholehearted believers with more of him. To mark us with more of him, that we would look like him, that we would carry his glory, that we would carry even his tangible presence. The next chapter, chapter 34, said Moses' face would glow with the glory of God. Doesn't this just make you hunger for more of God? This just, I, it brought, as I was preparing this, I was just in tears. God, you are so amazing. I want you. I want more of you. I want to know you more. Moses' face would glow with the glory of God. And throughout, you see, Moses said, I don't even want to, I don't want to go if you're not with us. Throughout, Throughout scripture, God's presence was the mark upon his people. God's hand, got them being with him and him being with them was the mark that set them apart from everyone else in the face of the earth and it was his very presence that would work miracles on their behalf. He led them by the cloud and the fire. It's a picture of how God wants to lead us. We're people that are led by the Lord. They sent the Ark of the Covenant first into the promised land. That was a tangible, that was where God dwelled there at that time. And as they sent the Ark through the River Jordan, man, they could supernaturally walk through the River Jordan because they sent the presence of God first. Second Chronicles chapter 20, the people of God were going into battle. And you know what they did? They didn't send the mightiest warriors first. They sent the worshipers first into battle. They said, if the worshipers go first, singing and praising God and thanking God, the victory is ours. And sure enough, God supernaturally worked on their behalf. You know, sometimes we're, we're trying to fight a spiritual battle with natural means. We're trying to overcome things in our own strength. And God wants to fight on your behalf, but he's looking for your worship. He's looking for your friendship. Second Chronicles chapter 29 Hezekiah, God raises him up as a king, and he's looking to make great reform among the people of God. And what does he do? He doesn't say, let's change everything right away. The first thing he does, it says in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, it says, in the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple, and he started rebuilding it. He didn't say, we're going to make more business deals. We're going to get the right people in leadership. We're going to get this. We're going to, we're going to make all these reforms happen. He got into the presence of God and called the people to consecrate themselves to God and, and be people of worship, to be people of prayer, to be people of the presence of God. And then God worked mightily on their behalf. We can do so many things, but if we're not people who are friends with God, I find we're often left doing it ourselves. Even the New Testament. 
I love just miraculous things, not just in the Gospels, in the book of Acts. God was using people, not just, not just the apostles, but even people like Philip. God was doing mighty signs and wonders through them. Someone was healed by you know, Peter's shadow, just incredible things, people being raised from the dead. But you know what was said about them in Acts chapter 4? They were standing up preaching, and, and the people said, they're uneducated, unlearned men, but we could tell that they had been with Jesus. They've been so changed by being with Jesus and walking with God that there was something different about them. They were marked by the person and power of Jesus. When they preached and when they, it wasn't human. It was extraordinary. It was God. God wants to mark us as a people and set us apart for his purposes. Sometimes that looks in powerful and unique ways. Remember, we were, I was leading a mission trip in North Africa years ago, and we were, you know, we took every morning to worship and pray, and we were sharing boldly, and we did, but we just were not seeing fruit. I just felt like I laid my heart and said, worship until the breakthrough comes. So we got the team together and said, we're just going to worship God all morning. If it goes in the afternoon, great, we're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to in the presence of God. And I can't, the tangible presence of God came in the room. Was God always with us? Absolutely. The tangible presence of God that came into the room, we got, we got up from that time, went out. We saw nine people come to know Jesus. This is a Muslim. This is not, people don't just like come to Jesus. We saw nine people come to Jesus a day, eight people the next day, seven people the next day. We saw house, a little home group start up. Numerous of them left to right. They started reaching out to their people. There was something or saying, God, it's not us. It's, we want to just do this with you. It's your presence. If we're not marked by you, if we're not filled with you, if we're not in love with you, then we don't even want to go out there. Isn't that what happened in the book of Acts? They got it called them to great and wonderful things. He said, no, wait. You know, I gave you the great commission, but, but wait until you're filled with power. And I believe that, of course, it is a one-time unique experience there. It was the first Pentecost, but then it, God filled them again and again and again. There were people of his presence. When they were in jail, they worshiped and sang hymns in jail. I mean, who does that, right? Unless you're friends with God. Unless you just, he's my friend, and I walk with him, and, and he, I trust him. <clears throat> I've, there's been times where I've just, in seasons of seeking the Lord that were just life-changing. I remember I was at a conference years ago in the Midwest, and there's a group of us who worship, and, and the guy got up front and said, hey, we just want to just stay in the presence of God. And it, there was probably 500 people in the room. <clears throat> and I was in the front row, and one by one, everybody started weeping in the entire room, like uncontrolled, like just one by one, the presence of God came, it was like, a, like the glory cloud, you know? I, it literally changed my life. But God often just marks us in order. One other, one other fun story, our friend Eric Smith came here uh, a couple months ago. He guys, he's a guy that carries a cross around the world. And, um, and he consistent story he has. People will pull over and said, I saw this blinding light on the side of the road. And it was coming off of you. What is that? 
and then they get saved. I don't know. I can't explain it all other than it kind of sounds like, you know, the glory of God. Eric loves Jesus. If you know that guy, he loves to be with Jesus, loves to spend time with Jesus. Just a normal guy, very normal, if you know him. Casey's laughing because he knows him. Um, But he loves Jesus, loves to be in the presence of God. I remember working at Starbucks, and I had numerous people come and said, what is different about you? (laughs) Customers, what is, someone's dad would come in from out of town, they say, my dad didn't know what was going, there's just something different about you. But so often, maybe it's just ordinary ways, ordinary ways that God wants to mark us, just looking more like Jesus. God would say of us, whether we have a powerful encounter or not, that, that people would say of us, man, those people at Antioch, they just look like Jesus. We can tell that they've been with Jesus. You might say, man, you know, this is Moses. This is, I'm not, I'm not Mo. <clears throat> I'm just Joe, you know, or whatever. <clears throat> but I want to say, in many ways, we've got it better than Moses. Yes, Moses spoke of God face to face, but we're in a better covenant. Scripture says, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and it was talking about Moses, that he would go and, and he would come out of the glory, but to fade, and he have to cover his face, but it says this about us as Christians, all of us who have God inside of us. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. You might say, well, I'm not seeing God. Like Moses, well, actually, I think it's, it's kind of a metaphor that Moses wasn't actually seeing God with his physical eyes, the fullness of God, because he said no one can see God and live later. So he had, is speaking of a close, intimate relationship with God. There's an interaction. There's a two-way dialogue. There's, there's beholding God by faith, by glory says this is what we get to do. And that as we behold Jesus, as we behold his glory, we get transformed from one degree of glory to another. So I want to say, if you feel like you've plateaued in your relationship with God, I want to say, no, no, God wants to take you from one degree of glory to another. God wants to take you from glory to glory to glory. Guys, Whatever has separated you, if you are a believer, whatever separates you from God has been taken away. The veil that separated us in the old covenant from God that only people that have made perfect atonement from their sin could go in the presence of God and only a few people, that has been torn in two when Jesus died on the cross. We can go directly into the presence of God and behold him just like Moses. Y'all, that is good news. And if you're not excited about that, I'm praying for faith for you. Because it's awesome, man. And it may not always feel glorious. It may not always like, oh, I just like, you know, wept uncontrollably for three hours. No, that doesn't always happen like that. But we get to behold God face to face. Like I said before, James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let me ask you this. Let me say this. Because the veil's been torn, because we have direct access to God, the question is not, how much of himself will God give me? That's not the question. Scripture says he gives his spirit without limit. The question is this, how much of God do you want? How much of God do you want? 
How closely do you want to know him? How close do you want to draw near to him, as James said? How intimately do you want to know his character? How loudly do you want to hear his voice, whether that's through scripture, by the spirit? How, how, How deeply do you want to experience his presence and trusting him? How much of God do you want? See, I don't want to get to heaven. Then I don't want to see him face to face and be like, wow, like you're totally different than I thought because I didn't behold you. I want to just be like a little blip on the radar screen when I die. I've been beholding him, beholding him, beholding him, and all of a sudden, like Enoch, boom, you know, and like take it up. And I'm like, it was just a blip on the screen because I've been staring at your face and being transformed in the image from glory to glory every day of my life, although imperfectly and although I mess up and although I'm a dork sometimes. But, Lord, I've been beholding you and transforming your image from day to day to day. And I want to get as much of him on this side of heaven as I can. It's not how much do I need to pray, it's how much do I get to pray and be with God. You see, no one else can cultivate an intimate connection with God for you. No one can do that. I can't do that for you. Moses couldn't do it for the people. I said, refer back to chapter 20. They said, hey, you go talk to God and we'll talk to you and hear from you. Don't we do that as Christians? I heard one person talk about another church. He said, if that pastor doesn't preach, I can't hear from God. What? <laughs> You're trading the torn veil and the glory of God for, and sure, God speaks through preachers. And it's awesome and it's supernatural. But, but listen, we have the greatest treasure on the face of the earth. People die for this. People in other religions would kill for this. People are given their lives for this to just know that they can get to heaven, nevertheless have a direct connection to God. There is nothing like we have as Christians. But we're filling ourselves with chips, you know what I'm saying? And I do that too sometimes. So we're trying to make margin the last series. We can fill it with more of God, right? <clears throat> No one can talk to God for you. I, can't, you know, I, I, I deeply value a deep connection with my wife and kids. I, like, I, I, I want a lot of time with them, but I can't delegate that to someone. Be like, hey, uh, you know, Jackie Blankenship, we're friends with you guys. Can you spend time with my wife for me and my kids? No, I don't even want to do that because I want to be with them. I want to make space to be with them, but no one else can be their dad. No one else can cultivate a relationship with God for you. And I want to say, sometimes that, it, it takes time. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And to be honest, it's way easier to do things for God than it is to get to know God at times. Because he's an invisible God we can't see. And so if it sounds like every day in my life is just like, you know, just full of faith and everything's awesome, sometimes it's hard. And when I started praying, it was like, All right, I'm going to pray for 10 minutes. And I'm like, in 30 seconds, and I'm like, thinking about those chips now, you know? <laughs> Let's go do that, Lord, thinking about the, the, the fajitas. That was hard, what, 30 seconds in, you know? There's days, especially early on, and even still, I'm like, ah, you know, the, God, you know, I know you're with me, and Lord, increase my faith. But you know what? The more I discipline myself, and the more I got to know him. The more what is in here became my natural mindset. 
I stopped thinking thoughts of unbelief. Where is God? I'm gonna go by my feelings rather than by faith. And I started thinking by faith according to the word. He is with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He's here. He speaks to me. And I began to walk by faith. And what became was a discipline at first has now become a delight. If you can share that little slide. So oftentimes we want something, but God takes us through a process of learning to discipline ourselves so we can have the delight of experiencing that and getting to know God would be one of those things. So I want to invite us into that. I'm really, 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 really looking forward to this sermon series. My desire is that we would all know God more deeply. We would all hunger for him more in our lives in a real and living, active way. We would experience his love, his presence. We would know his word more. We would know him more. Because I believe someone gave me um, wise advice. Actually, Jamie, many of you guys heard him this week. And I was at college and I said, you know, what's, what's one thing? If I could do one thing, and get to know God. That is going to lay a foundation for the rest. Your life will flow from your relationship with God. So I want to invite us, church, to do the same. Let's not just talk about him. Let's get to know him. Let's not just do things for him, although we'll continue to do that. But let's do things with him. Let's get to know him. Let's, let's go deeper. I believe God is inviting us to be people marked by God. That God's presence upon us and inside of us and our looking like Jesus would be undeniable when we go to work in our cubicle tomorrow, when we go to see our family, we, that it would be undeniable that we would be people marked by God.